So go ahead and turn your Bibles to James. We're starting a new study today. I want you to turn to the end of James, the very last couple of verses, because this gives an, an overarching context that as we sit in the words that James has penned down through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what's, what's his goal? And again, James is just like Acts. It ends really weird. There's no goodbye, I love you, you know, greet one another with a holy kiss kind of stuff. It just ends with this statement. But here's James's heart. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and capitalize the truth, Jesus, if any of you wanders from Jesus and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from error, from the error of his way, will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, place that in James's heart as he's writing these words. He's standing in this gap. Uh, our understanding is James is that lead elder of the church in Jerusalem. We'll get into his context in just a minute. Our understanding of how we read through James is it seems to be summaries of multiple sermons. So it's kind of like James has been communicating to the church there in Jerusalem over time as the church is gathering week by week. Jewish believers in Jesus are coming to Jerusalem for wherever they're coming from, for feasts, business, whatever that may look like. They're fellowshipping with the church. They're listening to the wisdom that is coming out of James's mouth through the Holy Spirit as, as he is teaching. And they're sitting in these messages and James our brothers and sisters, they need to hear these words. They need to be encouraged by these words also. So James is like a consolidated message. So there's multiple sermons, multiple sayings. It kind of reads like Proverbs, but as you read through it, there really is a cohesion. And the topics that he introduces is at the beginning, he returns to them as we read through as we'll read through this letter. But what we're going to do, so I have, this, I have this outline for 11 weeks, so we're going to learn in James, if the Lord wills, we're going to do this or that. So if the Lord wills, it's going to take us 11 weeks to go through James. And again, it's, it's as, as this letter has been consolidated, a sermon consolidated down to just a few lines, we're going to unpack that message into a full sermon as we travel through it. And then the goal, it should be Memorial Day weekend if everything works out according to plan. And we're going to go back into the Old Testament beginning in 1 Samuel, and we're going to stay in an Old Testament narrative for an extended period of time. Again, in, when you read the Old Testament, as always, what does this have to say about Jesus Christ? So that's kind of how we're mapping it out. But as we sit in James for the next 11 weeks, just as you listen to these words, think, think about a brother who loves you, and he's, he's standing in a gap in your life where you may be wandering in different areas, and his heart is to cause you to return back to Jesus. Some of us need to have great big turns where you've been wandering for an extended season, you've been in rebellion for an extended season, there's, there's a major confession, there's a major cleanup that needs to occur, and for some of us, it's just a minor adjustment continuing to turn back to Jesus. So this is kind of the outline where we're going to sit in James. But I've titled as, as an umbrella this entire series, so to say, Jesus Works. Now, as we were in, in Acts for a long time, I titled it His Workmanship, because as you travel through Acts, it's called the Acts of the Apostles of the Lord. It's not, the focus is not on the acts of individuals. The focus is on what the Almighty God is doing 
in saving human beings and the Almighty God working through those human beings as the gospel continues to go out, right? So I titled it His Workmanship. Really quick, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, because this is where that idea came out, but it, it provides cohesion just where we're turning to in James. Nathan asked me this morning, why James? And immediately, you know, the Lord has directed me here for a specific reason. As the, you know, I didn't even think about his workmanship when I titled the, the James stuff, Jesus Works, and I'll give, I'll give context to that in a minute, but there's, there's a cohesion there. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And again, as we go through James, your faith in Jesus Christ is his focus and attention on everything that he's communicating. By grace, by the grace of God, the gift of God, you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you have never studied that passage before, I'm bringing it to you now for you to study. We have been saved by the grace of God. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the one that has chased us down. He is the one that has woken us up to him. He's given us the faith to trust in him. We are his workmanship. He has created us. He has formed us uniquely and individual. He has a plan and a purpose for our lives. The ultimate plan and purpose is to imprint us with the image of his son. And that's a lifelong process. It's a maturing process. It's a, it is a growing, sanctifying process that we're going to talk about this morning in James. But we are his workmanship, created for what? For action. This is when you go, if you go look up James at all, if you look up any kind of graphics and those kinds of things or summaries of what James is all about, it's faith in action. It's work. This whole idea of work, we're going to define in just a minute, but it's where we get our English word energy from. We are created for good works, but it's not works that we are mustering up in ourselves. It says we are attending to Jesus as we are following him, as we are loving him, as we are seeking him and listening to him and obeying him. The works that he has prepared beforehand for us to what? Just walk it out. Now, is that easy or hard? Follow, let's be straight up with each other. Following Jesus Christ is difficult. It's costly. The gospel is free. Everything else, it costs, it costs everything you have. Leave all, forsake all, to follow him, surrender all, take up your cross, follow and die to yourself daily, follow him daily. His demand upon us is you're everything because you are everything to him. He created you to love you as an object of his love, as an object of his grace. His desire is for you to image him for all eternity. Wonderful gospel message. So, using Ephesians as that foundation, but not just Ephesians, because again, Paul is, as Paul is writing, as James is writing, this is all inspired by the Holy Spirit, the mind of God speaking through man, giving us 
definitions and giving us clarity, but ultimately in all of this, the conversation always revolves around Jesus Christ and the word. This comes out of Revelation 19. Again, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, as we sit in these words, it's always about your relationship with Jesus Christ, which means it's your faith, your your trust in him to be who he claims to be and your trust in him to do what he says is going to do. This whole idea of Jesus works, this, uh, the word is used a good 150 times in the New Testament. But here's some verses just out of the Gospel of John. Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 5.36, the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And just like the works that you do bear witness of you, right? Whether it's of you or whether it's of the Lord. John 14.10, this is uh, kind of clipping some verses together. It says, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me for the sake of the works themselves. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. John 17, 4, as Jesus is praying, I have glorified you, Father, on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And the last words of Jesus on the cross, it is finished. But this kind of begs the question, and again, this is out of John chapter 6, 28, but for all of us, is what, what do we do then? What, uh, what do I need to do? What do we need to do that we may work the works of God? And here's Jesus' answer. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Your work is your faith. Yeah, and there's, 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 a, there's an imagined conflict between what Paul says and what James says. Paul is, you are justified by faith only. And James is going to tell us, you were justified by your works and not by faith only. So is there a conflict? No. You can't separate faith and works, and that's James's whole argument that we will get into. Faith and works are not independent of each other. They are interdependent. Jesus had absolutely full faith and trust in his Father, yes? He was empowered by the Holy Spirit that was sent upon him to do the works that the Father sent him to do, yes? So what did Jesus do? He did exactly what his father directed him to do in perfection, in holiness, in completion. And again, it's that work that Jesus did and does is what he is directing us to do as his followers. And the basis for every work, our energy, our efforts that we perform in life are to be fully empowered by him, for him, through him, in him, all the time. Amen. Dictionary definitions for work, there's a few. One says it's that which displays itself in activity of any kind, so your deeds and your actions. Work is that which one does as a regular activity, so your job, your occupation, a task. And it's also work is that which is brought into being by work. 
what it produces. So as we sit in this whole umbrella, as we are, we're sitting with James, we are sitting in, in his letter that he has sent specifically to Jewish believers throughout probably Rome. The idea, again, is that he has spoken many sermons. These are encouraging words that have been consolidated, and they're not just sent to a single community. They, there are multiple uh, copies of this that are being sent to the Jews that are scattered, and we're Jewish Christians that are scattered, and we'll get to that idea in a minute. And he's sitting in these words. He is, he is encouraging us to live out our faith. And in the very beginning, he's going to talk about that faith being tested. So let's look at verse 1. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. So this James, this is, there's multiple James in the New Testament, so you always kind of have to know who you're talking about. This James is the brother of Jesus. So when we say that, there are a few different ideas of what does it mean that James is the brother of Jesus. When you just read through the Bible, it seems a clear narrative that Mary was pregnant through an act of God, through the conception of the Holy Spirit, that that is how Jesus was conceived in her womb. Now, how this all worked out, I don't know. Our understanding is that God took the egg from Mary, that that would have been the female's DNA. What male DNA did he use? Did he use some perfect DNA? Did he use Joseph's DNA? Did he use David's DNA? We don't have a clue. But he used God miraculously, takes whatever male DNA and conceives Jesus in the womb of Mary before she had ever had sex, before she had other children. When she delivers Jesus, the understanding, again, the narrative of the Gospels is that Joseph and Mary, as they are husband and wife, they continue in natural husband and wife relationships, and they produce multiple children. So in the Gospels, you see the brothers and sisters of Jesus, James being the oldest of that bunch. That's the most natural reading that James and Jesus would have been half-brothers, okay? Early church history in desiring to, you know, put Mary above where God placed her. Now, correct biblical context. Mary is to be esteemed above all women because of what God chose for her to do and to perform. We sit in her, you know, her magnifying the Lord as she is filled with the Holy Spirit and the words that proceed out of her mouth as a teenage girl. And Luke, you know, you sit in the, our Christmas narrative. We're always in those passages. She was a wonderful woman. She was the mother of Jesus in the flesh. It seems that she was married to Joseph. She was a mother to other children, engaged in their community. She was part of Jesus's ministry there serving. She was there when Jesus died on the cross. She was there as part of the early church. She is a woman to be esteemed. She is a woman who was blessed above all other, all other, all other women, but she's a woman. Just like women, she's, she is one of you, and she is another individual that we have in the Word of God, that the faith that she had in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior is a faith that is worth following. Now, early church, as the church is blending with 
paganism and the pantheon of Greek gods. And even, you know, there's a lot of history into that. Uh, but in all of the cults, there's essentially a deity that's, that revolves around being the queen of heaven. And again, in seeking to, as those ideas are being blended and seeking to exalt Mary, she becomes this perpetual virgin where she never had future marital relationship at all with Joseph. That Joseph, that the, the children that are mentioned as the siblings of Jesus are really Joseph's kids through a prior marriage. And then there's another idea that, um, you know, that the, the siblings that are mentioned in the Gospels, that they are, that they're cousins. We have to... And, this, and again, this is one of those, this is one of those adamant have-tos. Um, you know, I stand in protest against anybody exalting Mary above her rightful station. The Word of God does not tell us to pray to Mary, does not tell us to pray to any other human being. We pray, we petition, we seek the Almighty God, the Father, on His throne through the power of the Holy Spirit, through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our only access to our Almighty God, right? But there are many, and again, in, in attempting to separate Mary from all others to put her in a position of being a deity herself to one degree or another, that you pray to Mary to talk to her son for you, and that's how, and again, it gets into all kinds of weirdness. But as we sit with James, he is the half-brother of Jesus. Now, I go through that long-winded thing, one, to just give some clarity there, introduction if you're not aware, but two, it's really, now should, sit in James's context. His older brother was Jesus the Messiah. He grew up with Jesus as the older brother in the, in the firstborn, in the position in that culture. Not only that, he is sitting in the testimony of Joseph and Mary, his parents, in regards to his old, who his older brother is. This is who they grew up with. This is the environment that they grew up in. We only have a couple of snapshots in the Gospels that as Jesus is in his public ministry, is James a believer in Jesus as the Messiah? He's not. Jesus' family kind of think that he's nuts at the beginning. And you, we see these different scenes where, you know, your, your mother and your brothers, they're, they're seeking you. And you have that teaching with Jesus. Who are my mother and my brothers? Those who do the will of my father. Here, here's the body of Christ. Here's the family of God. So we don't see James following Jesus in his public ministry. We don't see James at the foot of the cross. We don't see James at the resurrection. We don't see James at the ascension. But within Acts, we saw, we see James as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So there specifically in Acts chapter 15, James is the leader. Paul in Galatians talks about James is the leader. Like you go to who everybody is submitting to. James had a radical conversion moment just like Paul did. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 as he's communicating the gospel, as he's communicating after Jesus rose from the dead about those that Jesus revealed himself to, after he re revealed himself to the 500, there was a specific one-on-one -on -one meeting between brothers between Jesus and James. Just like Jesus had a specific one-on-one -on -one meeting, we don't have the context between himself and Peter. That moment, whatever that was, 
There was, a, there was a transition from unbelief to belief. There was, a cha- there was a transformation of wavering. I see these things. I grew up. I've heard all the testimonies. I've witnessed some of the, witnessed some of the testimonies. Doubting, wavering, we're going to talk about in a minute, to firm foundation. My brother, Jesus, is the Christ. And then God calls him and appoints him to this position. This is the James that we're talking about. Now, as we sit, and again, in in just James in general, in this letter, it's very pastoral and it's very practical. So you see his transformation, you see his heart, you see his Jewish culture and his Jewish upbringing, you see his faith in his brother as the Messiah, and you see him communicating that message to those in Jerusalem, leading those in Jerusalem in the face of persecution. We just left Paul at the end of the book of Acts as he's being released as a prisoner from Rome in 62 AD. In 62 AD, the same time period as when James lost his life. Guess how James died? That same climate of Jews that arrested Paul, as James is preaching the gospel, church history tells us that as he is preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel in the temple area, that they drag him to the end of the edge of the temple and they throw him off the wall. And he didn't die. So they went down and they stoned him and they clubbed him to death. Trial, tribulation, Doubting, patience, faith, works, energy. Again, all these different words that uh, we're going to define as we travel through this document. This is a man who lived these things out. James identifies himself as a bondservant. I love it. It's, it's being a slave. It has a specific connotation in Jewish culture in regards to being a willing servant of God and the willing servant of another man. He is a willing servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not his own. He has been bought. A lot of doctrine, a lot of teaching that we can sit in there. He is writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And this is a, there's, there's all kinds of weird teachings throughout history that there's 10 lost tribes of Israel. There are not 10 lost tribes of Israel. In 722 BC, because the northern 10 tribes continued to live in evil and rebellion against God. God sent the Assyrians as punishment. And it, you know, again, the Old Testament narrative, it's all the, you know, the Jews were taken out of the land captive and as slaves. That does not mean that the land was scoured of Jews and every single one of them were taken out in captivity. A percentage of the population was, and a percentage of other populations were immigrated into those northern land areas of Israel. And this is where the root of the Samaritans come from, the blending of these cultures and their religions together. So when James is writing to those Jews who have been scattered, he's talking to this group of Jews that are looking to Jesus Christ as the Messiah in faith that were part of this scattering. They were removed out of the land where they were removed out of the land at the time of Assyria, at the time of Babylon, during the time of the Greeks, during the time of the Romans. He's writing to his brothers, his ethnic national brothers that are living in other communities 
that are going through the same trials and the same struggles that he has been going through. They're living out the same faith that he is living and is writing to them in encouragement. I bring all that up to say, if you ever run across any teachings that's talking about the last 10 tribes of Israel, just turn the page and go find something else to study because it's not true. Verse two, I heard my mom said that my dad said that he's got money that I can only make four verses today, so. That's what mom said. <laughs> We're gonna get through eight. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways." So again, as James is writing this, he is a Jewish believer in Jesus in Jerusalem. Did he suffer persecution? Absolutely, he suffered persecution. Did he suffer trials and testings? Do you think his belief in his brother as savior, do you think that that was tested? Do you think he had his moments of doubt? And again, this word doubt, it's, it's hesitation. Hesitating in believing, hesitating in acting, hesitating in, in seeking the Lord. And again, we're to have bold access. You run to the throne of grace with bold access, with your mouth. So here's a bunch of definition, and then we'll back up. And we're going to read through all of this kind of like as an, as an amplified trans, translation. My brethren, so brothers and sisters in Christ, count it. You need to have your opinion, and your opinion is a choice. It's a choice that is formed for certain reasons, but the encouragement is this needs to be the state of your mind. Count it, everything, joy. Talk about this morning. One time in the New Testament, the joy, or in the Old Testament, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Go read the context in Nehemiah 9. Count it all joy when you fall, when you run into, and when you're surrounded by various trials and various it's the myriad the trial can look like anything it can be little teeny tiny and it can be the biggest thing that you have ever gone through in your life this this various trials a trial can be a temptation it can be a test it can be a pressure we're going to hold the temptation conversation for uh, for a few weeks because uh, he deals with that directly. But here's these various, and again, read that word as, as testing, knowing that the testing, again, the idea of a test is to prove the genuineness of something. So you sit in a refiner's fire where you're, you know, you're processing, processing, heating something up and you're getting rid of materials that do not belong there. So what remains is pure this, there's a testing, there's a refining process. And what is the focus? It's your faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith, the testing of it, it produces something. It works out patience. Patience is endurance, it's perseverance, it's remaining under something. And again, the, the success of remaining under is not in complaining and woe is me. The success is being pointed to, it's counting it all joy. But let patience, so let what patience is, let it have its perfect, it's the highest standard, let it have its perfect work in your life. What's its goal? To help you become perfect, this, the idea is mature and complete and finished. The word complete there, it's in integrity, in entirety, in fullness. Lacking nothing, falling short of nothing. And we're going to come back to that. I want you to be able to emphatically say to God every single day, I lack nothing. However, the reality is if any of you lacks, we do lack, right? Look at yourself. You lack what? Provision. You lack protection. You lack wisdom. You lack skill. You lack IQ. We, we sit in this want all the time. And then the want and the need that all of us had, Lord, I need you, right? I need you. What do you need him for? That's what you ask. Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally, literally in a simple, straightforward way. You don't have to guess. It's not, it just, he gives liberally, abundantly, straightforward, simple. Without reproach, God's not saying, oh, you're such a loser. I can't believe you need this. He knows everything that you need before you even ask it, right? He is there to supply as a father. If my children ask me for something, if it's in my means and it is helpful to them, do I not joy in giving in whatever they need? Absolutely. Don't ask me anything, Eli. Because <laughs> you might not need it. Only if you do need it. All right. Ask how, in what way? Ask in faith. Again, this whole thing is revolving around what you understand, who you understand Jesus to be and to do. Ask in faith with no doubting, with no hesitation. Why? Because he who hesitates, it's, it's, like, it's like a wave that's being driven this way and that way by the wind. Again, just imagine this man was there in Galilee. Just imagine the sea and the waves and being tossed about by the wind. You can see that kind of doubting. Let this man uh, not, let not that man suppose, think, presume to be true that he will receive anything from the Lord for he is a double-minded, literally double-souled, Two psyches, a double-minded man, unstable, restless in all of his ways. If you think about what faith in Jesus Christ, one of its products is peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. As we seek him, as we trust him, and regardless of what the life circumstances, his promise is to give to us, to grant to us tranquility, stability. If you're fighting against him, what happens in your soul and in your mind? It's, it's unstable, it's wavering, it's drifting, it's I don't trust that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. You know, we, we fight and we wrestle against those things. So here is James encouraging his brothers and sisters that are out. And what is he encouraging them to do? This all revolves around our faith. 
You believe in Jesus as your creator, as the one who was sent to be like you that took on this human flesh. You believe that he lived among human beings, that he lived among his brethren in Israel, that he was equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that as he went out, he taught with what? With authority. He didn't teach like any other teacher. He taught like the one who was the source of the information, and he taught with, as, as one who had authority. This that I am speaking, it is emphatically always true and correct. Jesus didn't have any wavering. Well, I think the Father said this, and I think, you know, there was none of that in him. It was emphatic. It was true. He was confident. He was led. And as he is teaching, what is he teaching? I was sent. I was given to all humanity as a gift to pay the price that humanity cannot afford to pay. No individual can pay for themselves. Nobody can pay for anybody else. I was sent to die your death. Predicted, revealed, occurred. His work that he was sent to do was finished. And what did he do? Father, Son, and Spirit, it's Jesus took his life back to himself and rose again from the dead. Yes, he had the power to give life. He brought other individuals back from the death. We even see that in the Old Testament. Those individuals died there another death. Jesus is the first fruits of the grave. And that is the singular evidence. If that is true, then everything else in here is true. If that is false, we all need to go do something else. And when he resurrected, he manifested himself. He showed himself. Touch me. Let's have a meal together. Gave instructions. Wait. Wait for the Father and myself to send the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that's the day of Pentecost has that one-on-one -on -one meeting with John. Again, this is, this is who we believe in and the work that he did. And the angels, just as you saw him ascend, he's going to come back in life manner, like manner. Every eye will see. And not only is every eye going to see, every tongue is going to confess. He is Lord. That's who we believe in. Got your faith? Got your faith in Jesus. Now, he tests that. Not for the purpose of causing you to fail, but because he loves you. He knows what you need. He knows where you need to be pruned. He knows what needs to be taken from you. There are little things in life that can just become the biggest explosion because of the emotion that's associated with it. There are great big events that happen in life, you know, loss of life, loss of job, loss of, you know, these major things that, Lord, why? James's encouragement is if you know in whom you believe, which is Jesus, then what are you supposed to do with the context that's in your life if you believe that Jesus is in control of the context of your life? 
You need to have the opinion. You are the one that needs to change your mind to count it, to reckon it joy. Now, that's not easy. I tell every, and this, is, this is my life context right now, and I know it's woe is me, and it's America, and it's, all right, here it is. I've put on like 30 pounds in eight months. Woe is me. You know why? Because I've made the choice. I make the choice to eat, to eat whatever I want, whenever I want. Why? Because I hate self-control. I go to the, I go, I'm just being honest. I go to the gym so that I can eat. I'm also a middle-aged guy trying to keep up with testosterone-filled 18-year-olds, and I can't keep up, but I'm trying. So yeah, a little bit's turning into muscle, but a lot of it, I've just got some extra pounds around the middle, right? So what? But it's what I, my opinion and my behavior, the choices that I'm making become habits in my life. So my habit is I starve myself. I'm all for intermittent fasting. I can do it like a champ. You know why? Because I'll eat my 5,000 calories at dinner. I'm good. <laughs> so right now I'm, I'm doing a diet by choice, but it's to teach me a new habit. Here in this context is this opinion to count it all joy, brothers and sisters, this is a choice. And we have the choice of how we respond to our circumstances every day. In the midst of my diet, you know what? It is miserable. Do you know what I have to do? I gotta scan my foods, I gotta enter my foods into an app, I gotta count all my little macros, I gotta do all this with my limited time, super frustrating. I couldn't find a shaker bottle, and I didn't have an expletive, but I had an <laughs> And I cleaned out our Tupperware thing later on that day so that I could find my little shaker bottle. But again, right, the, 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 to form a new habit is often frustrating. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes energy. It takes time. Wandering and drifting and just locking into the flesh, I got that down pat. Easy. But to intentionally consider my circumstances and to reckon it, to make the choice. No, Lord, your joy, your joy that is sourced from you and my joy in you, that is my strength. This circumstance, this person, this relationship, you are bringing this into my life for a purpose. And again, the context here, and again, this isn't, you can't say anything and everything negative in your life is this automatic test of your faith in Jesus Christ, right? I mean, that's, that's separated, distinct, you know, and have some distinction. Um, but there is often the Lord brings about people, he brings circumstances into our life that, that have the tendency to cause in us what? Doubting, wavering, hesitation. And this is what he's encouraging. No, count that circumstance joy. Remember who Jesus is and remain under it in joy by choice because the testing is for a reason. The testing is to bring about patience, remaining under, endurance, perseverance in your life rather than abandoning Jesus. Oh, this just happened. Jesus doesn't love me. You know, that's what we're seeking to refrain from. But patience has its work to do in our lives. And James is saying, here's, here's when, when you remain under the circumstance, 
with joy in Jesus Christ in your relationship, that patience is going to produce something in you. And it's that highest standard of perfection. It's going to cause you to be a mature believer, a mature faith in who Jesus is. He is going to knock off your edges. He is going to prune things out of your life. He is going to bring about circumstances. I mean, you could sit, whether it's coming from uh, your own flesh, from other human beings, from out there in the world, from the devil. Like, go, go sit with Job in his testing, in his trial. Satan asked for Job. The only reason that Job believes in you is because you bless him. The only reason Blake believes in you is because you bless him. Take it away and see if Blake won't curse you to your face. That's the temptation from the devil. We're going to sit in this again. We are not tempted by God. The devil tempts us. Our flesh, our desires of our flesh will lead us away. The things of the world will lure us and entice us away. But remain under is the encouragement here. Let faith, the testing of it, produce patience in you. And as that patience is being worked out in your life, it is going to grow and mature your trust and understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And here's the thing. As you're in the middle of that circumstance, and the fulfillment, the end, the end of that is that you get to this position of, I don't fall short in anything. This is, uh, I want to read it, but it's 2 Peter I love this promise, 2 Peter chapter 1, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen to this. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What a promise. His divine power has given to each and every one of us everything we need to live out his life in this world. What a promise. And that's, and that's this statement. I lack nothing in Jesus. Got it? Outside of Jesus, you got nothing. You lack everything. In Jesus, you lack nothing. Why? Because you have the freedom to ask. Because right after that statement, he says, so that you, here's the end, here's the goal, so that you'll be complete and mature and lacking nothing. But what's the reality? Lord, I need you. I need your mind, I need your wisdom, I need your compassion, I need your grace, I need your care, I need, to, I need to know what the next step is, I need you to change my heart, I need, I need, I need, I need. So rather than sitting in this position of complaining and moaning and being the Eeyore and woe is me, it's no, count it all joy in who your Savior is, and that he invites you to constantly come to him, to ask of him whatever you have need for. And what's the promise? I'll give it to you. Now, later on, he's going to return back to, if you're not getting what you're asking for, it's probably because you're asking for something that's in your own lust and your own need. Or you're asking the father for something that he says what to? No. Or wait. But if you trust him and you bring all of your needs to him, your lack to him, 
you can trust and still say the statement, I lack nothing because he's going to give to me exactly what I need when I need it. But when we ask, how do we ask? Getting back to faith. Do you know who Jesus is? And again, this is a, we, we sat with this in Acts, Acts 27. It's not just, I believe in God, and James is going to get to this statement, even the demons believe and tremble later on. I believe the words of God. I believe him. I believe that he is present with me. He promised to always be with all of us. I believe that he's here. I believe that he sees. I believe that he's patient. I believe that he's compassionate. I believe that he's gracious. I believe that he's given me works to do. I believe in the, the hope and the promises that he mentions. I believe in the fellowship that he's given. I believe, you know, I believe all of this. So, Lord, in that belief, in that understanding and faith and trust and confidence in who you are, I'm asking for you to provide for my lack in this moment because I need you right now. And I want to ask in a way, Lord, where I'm not hesitating. Does God really love me? Does God really speak to me? I don't want to be the toddler. I've been the toddler with the Lord before. I don't want to have that kind of attitude with him because he's taken me through trials to cause me to mature as I've remained under those things and been patient. Patience has had an incredible work in my life. And again, there's a, there's a, there's a standard saying of don't, don't pray for patience because then God's gonna take you something through something to teach you patience. Boldly ask God to teach you patience. Boldly ask God to let patience have its perfect work in you. Boldly ask God for whatever you need. Do you need him? Ask for him. Do you need time? Ask for the time. Do you need the finances? Ask for the finances. Do you need the IQ? Ask for the IQ. What do you need? Ask. Don't doubt. Ask, ask and trust. Just be bold and ask. He's waiting to give. And the check is not in your flesh, not in hesitation. Not in being double-minded, oh, I, I want to play for, with Jesus right now on Sunday, and then I'm going to go play in my flesh Sunday afternoon, and waffling back and forth and being double-minded and trying to play both sides of the field or whatever. Don't be a double-minded man or woman. Make up your mind. It's your choice. And as we choose every day, the new habit is going to be formed. And not only just through human behavior of forming habits, but through the transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit into the image of God, as has been promised. Jesus, would you please make me more like Jesus? Yeah? All right, worship team. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we boldly ask. We ask that you would make yourself known. We ask that you would bring yourself glory. We ask that you would educate us, Lord, give us the knowledge and understanding that we need. Give to us wisdom, Lord. Give to us the brothers and sisters that we need in our life, Lord, that'll, that'll help us and encourage us down the path. Give to us brothers and sisters, Lord, where we can help and encourage Give to us a new song. Give to us gratitude and humility. Give to us love and grace and mercy. 
Give us compassion. Lord, we trust that you will give to us through your divine power everything that we need to have your life and to live a life that glorifies you. So in the midst of the circumstance, Lord, I choose joy. I choose joy in you. I choose to remain where you tell me to abide. I choose to go where you tell me to go. I choose to leave what you tell me to leave. I surrender all. And I know that I can't, so I ask for help. Lord, we ask that you would bless us, that you would favor us, that you would let us see you, feel you, hear you. We ask for unity. We ask that you give us your mind so that you let us know what we ought to keep asking for. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.